Welcome to the Heritage Month Honor Series. My name is Apioko. Now, in the month of heritage, we're having several conversations about our history, about the things that define us as Ghanaians, and the things that have created the footprints and the roadmap to us become our culture. We're celebrating that. We're making it Ghana. And we're also having very important conversations around these things because it's very important for us to know where we are coming from where we are now so that we know where we are going. This show is sponsored by the National Lottery Authority, the NLA. Now my guest here today is no other and none other than Kweku Daku Ankara. He's a historian and he's no stranger to us here at City FM and City TV. In fact, some people might say he works here. <laughs> Kweku, you're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Now today we're talking about the Osu Castle some of the edifices that have become very prominent in our history along the way of our heritage up until now have been our forts and our castles and the osu castle in particular kweku you tell us has occupied several spaces within our history and has meant many things to us and our ancestors over time so let's talk about the osu castle the christian Borg castle which was built by the Danes. When was it built? And initially, when they put it up, what was the purpose that it was to serve? Uh, thank you very much. So the purposes of forts and castles, which were about 80 across the shores of Gold Coast or Ghana, were as a result of the country's abundant wealth, gold, um, diamond, you have manganese and all other stuff, as well as agricultural uh, products, which were sort of a good raw material that feed European industries. So this made a, a Gold Coast very attractive to European powers. In addition, when there was emergence of uh, transatlantic slave trade, the need to have human beings to go and work in the sugar plantations and cotton farms to also feed the European industries that were making sugar as well as textiles. So when we talk about slave trade, one of the things that fuels it was sugar. Mm. So they were sent to the sugar cane plantations as well as textiles where they go and also work in the cotton farms. So this caused a high demand for human labor. Mm. And as a result, this led to um, increase in the human cargo. Mm. And so that's why we see all the European powers coming to Africa as well as the Gold Coast at the time to get a lot of human beings to go and work. So that is, as a result of this, there was the need to have a factory. Mm. So the European power started building what is called lodges. So the lodges that will later become castle were initially as a factory where they will mm. keep their goods. Like when they bring the guns, they bring the alcohols, they bring the sugar and all those stuff. So that is where they, they were storing, storing them. it. That is why beginning we say European lodges. Mm. What it means, it was it was factories okay. where so they the, keep so, their things. So let me just understand. So the raw materials, a lot of them were being taken from here yeah. back to their home nations. Yeah. They would process them, manufacture with labor, whatever they had to do, and then they would now come back. And yes. the forts were initially storehouses this, or warehouses this, yeah. for these finished goods that the, they would use that's here. That's the way it was. So okay. they sell some even among their competitors oh. in Europe and across the world and then they bring some of the finished products back home here okay. and they kept it there and at the same time what they also buy from the hinterland or from the gold coasters they also store some of them 
there in that storehouses or the lodges and then wait for the ships to arrive and then they also so it was back and forth okay sort of so before the human the advent of human cargo what we now know became the slave trade what were some of the things they were buying from from the hinterlands from the indigents of west africa of ghana so, for ex the gold coast so for, for, for ghana gold was a major product okay. they were buying gold they were also buying certain foodstuffs that were needed they were also buying some wares, uh, traditional artisans' wares that they were producing back in the day. So they were buying those sort of things. They were also bringing in glass uh, beads okay. and other stuff. Mm -hmm. So those were the major things what that... What we call the trade beads. Yeah, the trade beads. <laughs> that were those things that they were buying. Some, they buy some from Nigeria. The most precious was like the Akori beads. Okay. They were the glass one now called the Edo They were bringing it from Nigeria here. And then there was a blue one, which used to be called the Agri Beats, mm. which was one of the precious. And then from Ghana itself, we also produce Bodom Beats, mm. the Butter Beats, and so on. And Nyani, Nyani is Nyane, the white one. Yes. In fact, I'm so wearing some of yes, my, my legs. And so on. <laughs> and then they also send it across. Mm. So these were the trade that mm. was going on. And as a result of this trade, as I stated earlier, this led to the burden of their lodges, which will later become the forts. So the Danes became very competitive by 1850. Mm. Sorry, 1650s. They also emerged as a powerful traders on the West African coast. And they traded mostly in the coast of Gold Coast. Okay. So when they came in 1850, they came with a, a factor called uh, Henry Kaloff. And Kaloff was a, a, a very um, a, a serious-minded person who had planned to build a lot of lodges to help his country to also become very successful, yeah. and if not, if not even anything at all, to monopolize the trade. And he started very well. So by 1850, he had started the Cape Coast Castle. He, by 1852, he was already in Accra. He has bought the, the lodge at Osu, at Osu. Move on to by 1852-53, he's at Anomabo, Shama, Butre, mm -hmm. and then Cape Apollonia, all over. So the Danes built a lot of lodges, which will later be taken on over by the other European powers. Mm -hmm. But with regards to Osu, in 1852, Kalof built that uh, lodge. Okay. And so they were trading there. That gave them some ability to control the market, particularly within the Eastern Corridor. For, that is between long before Fort Presentstein will come. Okay. Just, that was the, the uh, castle or the fort that was controlling the trade all the way from Benin okay. up to the corridors of Accra. Of Accra. So they then had upper hand yeah. when you talk about the Eastern Corridor of the Gold Coast. Okay. And then uh, moving westward, you come across which was at Nunga yes. back in the day. Mm -hmm. Then you move further to um, um, Accra itself. You have the Fort Krovacar, which has become the Osha, Osha, which was there. And the Dutch too were competing effectively there. So when also uh, Lodge was built, by 1850, it was built in 1652. By 1655, going to uh, that 1655, then the Dutch came in and then they took over mm. in a sort of contestation for power <laughs> and then they took it over from the Danes. The Danes. 
when they took it over from the Danes, it didn't take long. And then the Danes also came back and took over their, their, their fort back. And when they took their fort back, they were controlling it for some time. Controlling the trade and then trying to capture the major trade around the area. However, well, as the time was going on, they also lost it again within another contestation. When, when they lost it again, to the Dutch again, they were to get their fort back within a space of one year. That is between 1660 and 1661. Mm. So by 61, when they took it over, the Dutch guy who uh, was in their employ called Joss Kramer. Joss Kramer. Yes, was invited to do refitting of the space. So when they refit the Lord, then it became a fort. Okay. It became a fort. So when it became a fort, then they decided to name it after the Akane, which is Christians the fifth. Mm. So it became Fort Christiansberg. Christiansberg. But Ghanaians are called the Christian Christian, 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 But it's Christiansberg. Christiansberg. Uh -huh. So that is the Christians fortification, which was built in honor of uh, Christians the fourth. So it means that between 1652, and 1662, so 1652 is when the the uh, the lodge was built, right. and 1662 was when it was uh, retrofitted to become yeah. a fort. Yeah. The Danes had actually lost control of it about three times. Yes, two times. Two times. Yeah. No, that that's interesting. So it seems to me that the Osu Castle then was a very very prime example, and in fact, it's very critical in the history of how the Europeans were scrambling for Africa. Yeah. Long even before we got to the slave trade. Yeah. The Osu Castle for me, from what you are saying, is significant in showcasing how important Africa was, how important Ghana, the Gold Coast at that time was, at, you know, with, with trade and everything that was going on in the world. And how the Europeans were literally scrambling for Africa at the time. Is that yeah. right? Would yeah, you so say that's so? why some people argue that the scramble itself started long before <laughs> the Berlin Conference. Yes. So during that time, there was a series of wars between the European powers. That is how Portuguese lost the, the Elmina mm. castle to the Dutch. Mm. And that is how the Dutch will lose their, their, their forts at Anumabo and Eja to the British. the British. So it was within that contestation that um, that was how the coast of Gold Coast then was. Because this area had abundant resources and all of them were here trying to get the best out of it mm. so that they can compete among themselves in their home countries and okay. that is that that mm. competition is the interplay of it is what we saw in our in our west african in our coast. west african coast so quick let me also ask you mentioned earlier that initially when a lot of these forts and castles were built as lodges they were meant for trade but as they began to become more significant in terms of what they meant for a European nation and their presence on the continent, would you say that our forts and castles are actually very big um, symbols of power? And so for that matter, it's not just about entering the territory. You must claim the castle. You must claim the fort. Yeah, yeah. so as you see, over the years, the castle itself at Osu was, uh, was remodeled. The Portuguese were the people who would later come and take it over. So in, as I continue to the narration, some of these answers, I will use it to, okay. uh, I, I will bring it within the okay. question that Wonderful. you have answered. Wonderful. So after the 1662, as I talk about when they took over the, their 
place back. They continue to rule over it. And by so getting this is to, the Danes. That's the now Danes. They got it back. Very good. Mm -hmm. They continue to you know rule over it. They became a power. And then by 1670s going, they had also started having financial problems. <laughs> so they sold the fort. Or they remortgaged it to the Portuguese by 1670, then about 1683. They remortgaged it to the Portuguese. So the Portuguese came, they were the people who built the chapel okay. in, the in the castle. That was one of the most prominent edifices you will see when you go to the Osu uh, Christabon Castle. So when they refitted it for some time, they renamed the castle or the fort into St. Soir Francis Xavier. St. Soir Francis Xavier. So that's where <laughs> that name, because I've heard that name being associated with Osu Castle yes, so, several times. Yeah. But I didn't know that this was the point. Yes, yeah, so that is how it became, you uh, got that name. So over a time, the Danes gathered money and they came back and then they took back their they, they are castle from but, them. But who was um, was this Francis Xavier? Who was this person? Oh, it's a Portuguese. They are talking about some of, uh, the, the the Pope at the time. Okay. You know, they were coming from. They were Catholics, mm. so they were giving these names of the patron saints and then the popes of the time for the works that they do. So okay. Xavier was the Pope at the time. Okay. So they were able uh, when they were in in the during the mortgaging time. They also used the place for a lot of trade until the Danes had money and then they came back and took their place and then they ruled them for a long time until 1693 when a, a something important happened at the Osu fort and this was when Asemeni, uh, a Kriapim trader and a warrior <laughs> who had been a worker at the fort itself used subterfuge with about 80 armed men pretending to be cooks <laughs> entered into the fort and then overpowered the soldiers that were there and then even in the, in the a fierce fight ensued and the governor of the fort called jensen had to flee to fort Kovake to seek refuge while some of the factors and traders who were in the in, in the osu castle were taken to akwamu in this in in this fight when akwamu overpowered the uh, sorry Assembly overpowered them. He took 1,400 marks of gold <laughs> as his possession. Then wore down the uh, Danish dress, then removed the Danish flag and put a Komu flag <laughs> on the fort castle and then invited both the Dutch and then British traders to come and trade with him. <laughs> then he gave the keys of the castle to his king at Akomu. And that is why the Akomu people still have the, the, keys. the keys to the Kestabon castle back in the day. <laughs> so, and he ruled from the 1693 to up to 1694. So let me ask, do we know what Asemeni's, uh, you know, what, what influenced this raid? What was it that pushed him? Because uh, clearly he was also, he had worked there, so he had studied the place. He had seen the ins and outs, how things operate. What pushed him to go and, and, and you know? So Asamene were that group of Akwamus who were trading on the coast because the Akwamus by 1670 had conquered Accra. And Accra was under the power of Akwamu. So we, we, we will say Accra then was a vassal state of Akwamu. 
So with their military capabilities, that is when Akomu was at the height the of their power. And he traded it there, had seen certain loopholes in the fort. And he realized that he is capable of overtaking and then trade directly with Europeans to make money. So his intention was not the idea of a nationalistic idea mm. of trying to overtake it and then rule. It was but more personal. It was more personal. <laughs> yes, to make money. That is why, <laughs> as historians, we struggle to position as a menu within the context of nationalism struggle. Because his idea was purely commercial and how to make much money as a trader himself, because he was a successful trader. And so when he succeeded and he made money, that is why he will renegotiate with the Danes within next year, which is uh, from 1693 to 1694, he negotiated with them and then they purchased it from him with 1,600 silver from him. After he had taken his 1,400 marks of, of gold. gold. <laughs> he, 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 he sold and he it had back. traded within the one year. Yes. <laughs> so they bought it back. They bought it back from him. And then the Dutch continued to be there. So of course, if Asimene's intentions had been more nationalistic, then he most likely wouldn't have sold he wouldn't, it back. Uh, yes, he wouldn't because have sold it. Because now, it's okay, we, we, we are the ones ruling the space. We now own one of the most powerful edifices we are ruling. So, bye-bye Danes. But yes. He saw another commercial viability, <laughs> and then he took the opportunity. Absolutely. So, what you see from... I wish I had met him. <laughs> what what Asamini <laughs> did at that time is we can study it from the idea that people think that people around the coast were timid. Yeah. Or uh, the Africans were timid, and then they could not contest European power. Asamini gives a clear example of power contestations by the Africans, that right. the Africans were not passive. To the transatlantic trade yeah. but they were people who contested heavily in fact they contested spaces and they contested trade mm. arenas with the europeans mm. and that is how we see the role of asameni yeah. within that contest even if it's not about nationalism mm. it shows that africans were heavily involved they were not timid. Nobody no, and, came and in. And of course, it's just fine. Just railroad them in. The, the Africans are the indigents. I mean, these yes. were the Gold Coast dwellers were the indigents. So, of course, if there's an opportunity to make something out of what they were born but into, the, the then why not? The unique aspect of it is that in other African states, we did not see these yes, capture. See that. And so the boldness of the Gold Coasters also shows you that as far back as time, our people were people who were capable men, who were fearless, and they could dare and challenge the white man who came to contest or trade with them. So that is the kind of argument I want to make. Yeah. So they were just not timid. As people will say, when an African yeah. man see a white man, then, then you have to bow to down. Him. They were not bowing down. They were able to challenge their rule. They were able to challenge their trade. They weren't able to compete with them. And in some instances, even take their trade, uh, their trade burdens from them, yeah. as we see it in Asamenu's capture right. of the of the Christabon Castle. Right. This is very important. It's something that serves as a yardstick for people today who want to contest the power yeah. of the state. Right. That they, it, they have something to stand on, that they need not to be timid, because the idea of contesting power speaking truth to power or overtaking power is something that is embedded in our culture even from back in the day from the traditional cycle into the business arena mm -hmm. as we see in the way as was able to overthrow 
the Danish power at the uh, Christian Bond Castle. Wow. So that's the kind of argument I want to make. Again, so after the assembly have sold everything back then. And of course, I mean, we're not saying that it needs to be done in the same way, but even just speaking up. Yeah, just speaking and, up. And voicing your opinions against yeah, power. Yeah, so power is contested in many forms. Yeah. Protest, speaking up, no, I writing. I just wanted to clarify that before somebody says that we are trying to stage cool. No, 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 no. You that, know, that will you not. Know, just the boldness of expressing your opinions and, and your your dissatisfaction yeah. with the ruling power. Yes, be because as you that. said, the fortification itself also represents power. Yeah. The power of trade. Then you have also the cannons and other things that when you want to encroach <laughs> on your space, they also use to protect themselves, to scare off potential uh, attackers and so on. So after taking their castle back from Asemeni, they were able to engage in their trade. Had the Danish plantation, one at Equipian uh, Mountains and then one in Accra here. So they had it, some call it the Danish uh, slave trade of a form. They have a lot of people they brought in to come and study and so uh, to work at their forts and castles. So, so, okay, so they were bringing these people in from where? Some were coming from the Gold Coast itself. Okay. Some were coming from um, Nigeria. So from more from the inlands. Yes, more from the inlands. And some of mm. those who came from the Alada area. Okay. What we say Alata area, okay. Alata area came in. And then when I come to the segmentation of Osu, how the Susualata Shante can come yeah. and so I yeah. will bring this Nishi argument Alata in. Very, so because they brought all these people and they were trading. And most of them say found their way to US Virgin Island, okay. then called Danish Virgin Island. So that is where they had a lot of their their people, they sent most of their trades there. And some of these people who were Akomu uh, warriors that were sent to uh, US Virgin Islands or Danish uh, US Virgin Islands, they also engaged in uprising. Mm. And so most of the people in the US Virgin Islands were the Akomu and some of the slaves that were taken from by the Danish from the coast of uh, Gold Coast. So even overseas, the Gold Coasters had a reputation of rising up when they needed to. When they needed so to be all over. that's another example, again, yes, of even contesting in the Caribbean, power when they needed to. You can have mm. a lot of... Uh, uh, the Gold Coasters, uh, Gold Coast slaves, who were called the Cromantines, those were coming, taking a year, engaging almost all the slaves, uh, slave uprising. So the Dutch then became a powerhouse. They were controlling their area for some time. Then by 1850, they entered into what is called Anglo-Danish Treaty. And in that treaty, the Danes were, uh, had already abolished slavery by 17, since 1790. They abolished slavery, but it will not take place effectively until 1810, right. when they effectively stopped. And because slavery was most lucrative, and they stopped at that time, they were then becoming insolvent. Mm. And as a result, they decided to sell their all their properties across the coast in 1850. So and they signed the agreement British. with the British, which became the Anglo-British Treaty. Mm. The, of, no, the Anglo, Anglo, Anglo Danish, Danish Treaty, Treaty of 1850, mm. and as a result, they passed on all their properties to the British at the cost of uh, 10,000 pounds, okay. and then they left. When they left, the, uh, the British, who also came in, used it as a major trading uh, 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 fortification. And then for some time, when they moved from Cape Coast by 1873, 1874, when they after the agreement, they were using it for trading. 
1877, when they came back, and then Accra had become a capital of Gold Coast, they made the place their, their government house or the head of the British territory, their headquarters. And so they moved it from Cape Coast Castle to Osu. To Osu. And so by 1877, it was the head office of the British. Okay, so we are out of time, but I just want you to touch on very briefly the significance of the Osu Castle as a, as a seat of governance for Ghana. So, 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 as I said, um, Osu, Osu Castle being the seat of government also led to a lot of improvements, massive modernization, mass uh, emergence of uh, Euro-Africans, educated elites, and that is what we see today. So, as the time is gone, the next session, we may proceed into that area yes, we'll and that. add more information Wonderful. to that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Quaker. And I find it particularly interesting that at one point, our seat of government was also in Cape Coast, and then we brought it to Accra. So, I mean, I'm just drawing those connections, but we'll talk some more. My guest today on the Heritage Honor Series has been Kweku Dakwankra, absolutely a family member here at City FM and City TV. This has been the Heritage On Air Series, sponsored by the National Lottery Authority, the NLA. And we've been talking about, in the first part of the series, on forts and castles that have defined our heritage. We've been speaking about the Osu Castle. We'll meet again. Stay tuned to City TV and City FM for all of the Heritage Month content that we are bringing your way. My name is Apioko.